Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hebrews chapter 11, if you will. I'm going to teach tonight on one of my favorite topics. I'm going to teach on faith. I love talking about faith. I love talking about what it means to live a life of faith in this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 6 actually tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. It sounds like a pretty important component to our lives, huh? Sounds like uh, something that God values, something that God places a lot of value and uh, care to, and so we ought to as well, amen? Um, I remember, I don't remember, at a conference or seminar or something, a, a pastor asking us ministers that God is really interested in one thing. Do you care about what I care about for the same reasons I care about it? Ultimately, when it comes down to it, that's what God is interested in. Do you care about what I care about for the same reasons I care about it? Ultimately, what is, what is our agenda? What is our mission? What is our plan? What are our interests? And do they align with the Father's interests? Jesus lived his life this way. Jesus cared about what God cared about for the same reasons his Father cared about it. And it, it directed and dictated and, and created a path and created a mission that Jesus was on. And he said things like, I do nothing on my own initiative, but what the Father speaks, what the Father says, how the Father directs. That's how my life is led. I don't do what I want to do. I don't say what I want to say. I don't go where I want to go. His life was so aligned and so uh, in the shadow of his father. He even said statements like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he wasn't just saying that because he was God in the flesh. He was saying that because he made sure every step I take, every word I speak, every place I go, everything I do is consistent with what my father wants, is in complete alignment with what my father wants. And that's the way we ought to live our lives. And so if he says without faith, it's impossible to please him, then I think it's important that we know how to live a life of faith, how to apply faith, how to work faith. What does biblical faith look like? And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is always a great place to start because it says this, now faith is. So we're, we're getting a glimpse into the, the definition or the character of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. What a powerful statement that you can have evidence, proof, irrefutable proof. Typically, when you think of evidence, you think of, you think of something that is visible, tangible, that you can put uh, you know, on a witness stand or that you can put before someone's eyes that is, is proof of 
what you're trying to prove or what of the conclusion that you're trying to arrive at. But he says that this is actually, faith is actually evidence of things not seen, not yet brought into the natural realm. Things that are not yet visible by the seen eye. So the first thing we have to understand about faith is that there is something that is just as real but cannot be seen. We have, to figure, we have to come to this conclusion that there is a reality that I have not yet seen in the visible, tangible realm, in this natural realm. So first off, we cannot live our lives just being moved and uh, uh, dictated and directed by what is seen. We've seen a lot of that lately. If it's seen, if it's heard, if it's felt, Um, If it's experienced, man, how much weight do we put on those things? And God is saying, if you want to live a life that pleases me, you're going to have to put more weight and more value on what is not seen than what is seen. And when we move over to being moved um, and and, and our, our lives dictated by what is seen more than by what is not seen, We've moved out of a life that, according to the word, does not please God. We've moved into a realm that God gets no pleasure out of. God does, he literally states, I do not get pleasure out of my people living and operating only by what they can see. We're going to have to find a way to live in what has not yet happened, not yet occurred, not yet taken place, not yet been received, not yet manifested. Come on. You have to live there is what he's saying. Other passages read that the just shall live by faith. That's literally how we should be operating day in and day out by what we have not yet seen. And the seen realm has such a way of of moving us. The seen realm has such a way of making you comfortable. The seen realm has such a way of setting your expectation. Or if I could use this word, limiting your expectation. The seen realm has such a way uh, of, of getting your attention and conjuring your focus into one. It has to be this way and no other way. And God is trying to show us a way that has not yet even presented itself. God is trying to show us something that's possible that in the natural realm looks impossible. God is trying to get us to live a life that is actually contrary and contradicts what we see. Yeah. This is where God wants us to live. This is where he wants to operate. This is where he wants us to respond out of. This is where he wants us to make the most critical decisions from. Not from a place of, okay, is, is everything in place? Can I see it? Can, can Has it presented itself? Does it make sense? No, God is actually wanting us to live in a place and make decisions and our life be led by what is in an unseen realm. I love the way the Amplified reads this passage. In verse 1, the Amplified says, Now faith is the assurance. 
title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. Look at these words. Title deed, confirmation, assurance, guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Can we be convicted that something exists that we haven't seen yet? Can you be convicted that love exists where you've only seen hate? Can you be convicted that hope exists where you've only seen hopelessness? Can you be convicted that peace exists where you've only felt anxiousness and worry? Can you be so convicted that there is a reality that you have not yet experienced, but it doesn't make it any more less real than what you have experienced? He says, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Man, don't don't those five senses get in the way? Don't they get in the way of what God wants sometimes? Don't they, if I can't hear it and see it and feel it and touch it and, 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 and if I can't lay my hands on it, if I can't, you know, experience it in a physical, tangible sense, then, I I mean, this is not the way God's people ought to live. There should be a sense within you that is always striving for what has not yet presented itself, what has not yet proven to be true, what has not yet been seen or heard or felt or experienced or discovered. But if we could live in that place, What kind of life would we experience? There's something about the unseen realm that God needs us to and wants us to tap into. We automatically come to this conclusion, if I can't see it, it's not real. If I can't feel it, it's not real. But God is saying it's it's more real than what you see. It's more real than what you're experiencing. Your healing is more real than the sickness ravaging your body. Come on. A restored marriage is more real than the brokenness you're experiencing right now. Is somebody with me? There is a reality that is more real than what you're currently living in now. And if you can remain in faith, if you can get a conviction of a reality that has not yet presented itself in the seen realm, you will achieve some great things for the kingdom of God. What if we approached the situation and the challenges in our world today, in our country today, from a faith position rather than a fear position? Because fear fear cripples faith every time. Fear actually operates off of the scene. Fear is, is, it actually builds an expectation and it builds a reality based off of what is seen and what is heard. I mean, we talked about uh, Jairus' daughter last week, right? 
And then along the way, there comes this interruption of a woman that touches the hem of his garment. She spoke by faith, and she said by faith, and she reached out by faith, and she touched by faith. If I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And immediately after that scenario took place, the, the messengers from the house arrive. They come to Jairus. Don't even bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. Fear grips him. What is Jesus' response? Do not be afraid, only believe. Don't operate out of fear, operate out of faith. Here's what I know, both faith and fear are designed to move you to action. Both faith and fear are designed to move you to action. They are to get you to act in accordance with what they establish. So fear, based on what the news is saying, what the prognosis looks like, what the report uh, delivers, um, what the environment is feeling by what I see, what I hear, what I experience, what I see, or what I put my hands on, what I'm touching, what I'm feeling, all those things gripping my five senses move me to fear, and then I act out of fear. And you'll never produce the desired result acting out of fear. You'll never produce what God wants for you. You'll never produce great things for the kingdom of God from a fear position. But just as fear moves people to action, and we've seen it it happen, so can faith. And faith moves you to action not based on what you see, not based on what you've heard, not based on on, on uh, uh, what you're feeling in your body. You know, we gave the, the, the testimony of, uh, of Kenneth E. Hagin just this past Sunday, and part of that testimony was by, by grabbing hold of that scripture, Mark 11, 23 and 24, he threw, he, he threw his paralyzed legs over the side of the bed. He said they hit the ground like a sack of potatoes. I mean, there was no feeling. He said the second that his feet touched the ground, it felt like nails, like he was standing on a bed of nails. And he just started laughing because he hadn't felt anything in about a year. I think it was 18 months. It was was a long time. He hadn't felt anything. His legs were completely paralyzed and just as an act of faith, not off of what he saw, not off of a doctor recommending, hey, this might be a good thing for you. He did it by faith. By faith. Living in a reality, having a conviction on an alternate reality, not based on what I see, hear, feel, experience, discover, can lay my hands on what's tangible, but on something that is not yet taken place. Something that has not yet happened. It goes on to say in verse 2 in the New King James. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By it. By what? By faith. By faith they arrived at a conclusion. That's what a testimony is. Uh, One uh, 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 translation, one version says they obtained a good report. By faith, they obtained a good. How about coming to a conclusion before you arrive at the conclusion? That's what God's, that's how God's word operates. God's word does not consult 
your experience to come to an outcome, to arrive at a conclusion. God's word doesn't consult environment. God's word doesn't consult the year. God's word doesn't consult what's happening. God's word doesn't consult your feelings. You ever notice that? God's word disregards your feelings. I don't care how you feel. You're going to walk in love. <laughs> right? God's word disregards what is currently taking place in the natural and says, I'm going to come directly opposed to what you're experiencing. And you are going to operate and you're going to move off of that. See, you know, we, we all want great faith, but we don't want the great trials that produce the great faith. We want the great faith of Moses, but you don't want to go through what Moses went through. You want the great faith of David, but you don't want to go through what, what David went through. You, don't, you want the great faith of the Apostle Paul, but you don't want to go through what he went through. Because faith is developed. Faith is strengthened. Faith is encouraged. Faith is built. You're not born with all the faith. The Bible says that everyone is given a measure of faith, but whatever uh, you do with that faith determines what that faith does for you. It's just like a muscle. We've, we've used this uh, example all the time. Faith is like a muscle. We all in this room have muscles, and all of us have developed them to greater or lesser degrees which then determines what the muscle or what the faith will do for you when you need it. We neglect it, we abandon it, we don't charge it, we don't build it up, we don't strengthen it, we don't encourage it. Then when you need the faith, that's why Jesus said things like, O ye of little faith, why are you weak in your faith, doubting? Why is there unbelief? It's because we didn't build or prepare or develop the faith you were given. And the Bible is very clear that you can grow your faith. You can develop your faith. You can strengthen your faith. The Bible tells us that you can weaken your faith. So, are we given the attention to the faith that we have so that when I need it, when I need to pull on it, how can I see what is not seen over what is seen? It depends on how I have developed my faith. It depends on how I have increased my faith. You know, we, we, have, this, we have this issue, we have this this. this this thing in church today that for some reason we can't ever challenge someone's faith. We can't ever challenge where their faith is at. You may have heard it called uh, locating your faith. But Jesus did it all the time. And he told them where their faith was. He had no problem. Now, you don't, want, you don't want to just go around calling people out and saying, well, you, uh, you, you didn't get it because you didn't have enough faith. We're just saying that is a very plausible reason why we did not reach the desired outcome. And it needs to be addressed. 
And Jesus had no problem addressing it. In the one occurrence in Mark chapter 6 where he could not go about the city healing and doing all the signs and wonders, it was obvious it was because of their unbelief. The word states that they were, they were offended with him. They were familiar with him. He's back in his hometown. And it says, and he did no mighty work there except save a few sick people because of their unbelief. The very next verse, verse 6 says, Jesus went about the teaching, went about the town teaching the people. What did he do? He located their faith. They're down here. I need them up here. So I'm going to teach them. I'm going to build them. I'm going to strengthen. I'm going to encourage their faith. Faith has to be fed. Again, we're not using it to demean somebody, to to, to make them feel horrible. If you would have just had enough faith. But it is important that we recognize that they're just not there. We're going to have to teach. We're going to have to show them some things. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to walk them through this. We're going to have to get them to see this. Back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Kenneth E. Hagen, he established what is still in operation today called the Prayer and Healing School. And it was meant to do just that. They taught on prayer and they taught on healing. And there would be people that would come in from all over the nation with, with dire situations, with reports of, uh, of no cure, incurable diseases, uh, six months to live, uh, uh, you know, things that doctors and, and medical science, there was nothing they could do for them. And they would bring them there and they would teach them. Teach, 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 day in and day out, teaching the word of God, creating an environment where someone's faith could be built so that they could believe for a miracle in their life in the realm of healing. Any realm that you need uh, uh, to see a breakthrough, whether it's a marriage, whether it's finances, whether it's healing in your body, uh, uh, whether it's for your children, whatever it is, you need to get the word on that situation and feed your faith in that arena. Why? Because I need to be convicted of the reality that I have not yet seen. I need to know there is a reality that is more real than what I'm experiencing and seeing right now. There is another alternative. There is another reality. There is another way to live and to see and to operate in believing for whatever I'm believing for. So faith is the title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. When, man, when God puts a divine guarantee on something, you better stand on that. You know what's sad is most Christians don't even know what is divinely guaranteed to them. They don't even know. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What you don't know will kill you. It absolutely will. My people are destroyed for a lot. It's what you don't know belongs to you. It's what you don't know is rightfully yours. It's what you don't know that Christ has made available to you. It's what you don't know that is keeping you from walking in all that God has for your life. And this is how we end up living substandard and subpar, below what God's word promises us. Accepting a life below what he has settled for you in 
heaven. And we settle for a life that breaks God's heart because he knows I made provision for this and I made this available. And, and, and here's the thing, God doesn't have to do anything else for you. He doesn't have to send his son back to earth again. He doesn't have to get beaten again. He doesn't have to get mocked and insulted again. He doesn't have to have the nails driven through his hands again. He doesn't need to be crucified again. He doesn't need to be rejected by man. He has done it all. All provision has been made available to you and for you through him. Now it's up to us to take ownership. But how many people do we have living in the slums spiritually when your dad has left you an inheritance of millions? You see what I'm saying? It's yours. All you have to do is show up and say, "Uh, that's got my name on it. That belongs to me. And you take access of it by faith. It doesn't matter if you've never seen it. It doesn't matter if you haven't experienced it. It doesn't matter if every generation before you was an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if every every, uh, supernatural stronghold has been over your family and over your life. You can be the one to break it. You have to live in a place where what you don't see is more real than what you are experiencing. Having that conviction. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. They came to the conclusion before they even started. That's the way God operates. How many times do you see God in the Bible declaring something, speaking something, naming something before they ever start? Abraham, father of many nations. I ain't got no kids. We've never been able to have kids. I'm too old to have kids. You see my wife over here? But in Romans chapter 4, it tells us that he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief, but he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was faithful and able to perform. Fully convinced, the Bible says. Romans 4 tells you, Abraham was fully convinced if he's calling me a father of many nations, even though I'm not experiencing it, even though I'm not seeing it, even though there's no way in the natural reality this could take place, if he divinely guaranteed it, that's my conviction. That's where I'm resting in what I have not and what I don't see is more real than the deadness I'm experiencing right now. And it says that he didn't even consider that deadness. See, when you get God's word on something, you can't consider the reality of what is seen. When you get God's word that your your marriage is restored, your marriage is healed, that he's able to redeem it, then you're not even considering the altar. You've put it out of your mind. This There, there is no other alternative. There is, death is not an option. Defeat is not an option. We will overcome. We will walk in Ultimate victory. If he divinely guaranteed it, I become rested and convicted of that conclusion. Jump to the conclusion. Get to the conclusion before you even start. This is how it will be. This is how it will end. This is the testimony I will have. Go ahead and write your testimony out now. 
It was dead. It was broken. It was over. They gave, a, they gave the report. It was looking horrible. But this is what God did. Let me tell you what God did. But you haven't even, you, but it's, the cancer's still in your body. You're still experiencing symptoms. He hasn't even come home yet. But you're given the testimony before you even started. You're coming to the conclusion before you even get going. That's what faith does. And it says that this is how we ought to live. It's impossible to please God without that kind of living, that kind of believing, that kind of thinking. And I'm not going to dumb down the standard of faith to you. You're better than that. You deserve better than that. Receive the word of God for what it is and raise the standard of your faith. Raise the standard of faith in your life so you can see and accomplish what he's called you to do. This is what his word says. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. What's he letting us know here? That everything you do see came from that unseen realm that you need to be putting your faith and your trust in. The source, see, what you see is the resource. The source is the unseen realm. He's letting you know, by the way, everything that you are seeing came from a realm you can't see anyways. So you might as well just go ahead and put your faith there anyways. That's where it came from. That's what produced what you're seeing. That's what produced what you're experiencing. That's what produced what you're uh, uh, going through anyways. So get your eyes off of the seen realm. We've said this before many times, but the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of faith is not doubt and unbelief. The opposite of faith is sight. Faith is seeing what I can't see. Sight is seeing what I can see. Now, doubt and unbelief are a result of putting your faith in what you can see. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. When I live, when I live a sight-driven life, doubt and unbelief are my only conclusion. Doubt and unbelief to what? To the word of God. To the word of God. And then what we do, then what we do is when I don't get the outcome or I don't get what I was believing in faith for, then I immediately dumb down the word of God to come to my situation. I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people that want to alter what the word says based on their experience that they had. And you've had those conversations too. No. I don't get to reinterpret scripture because I didn't experience what the word says. I'm convinced this word, I've prayed for people and they died. I've prayed for people and they didn't see the breakthrough immediately. I've prayed for people and the outcome that we prayed and believed for didn't happen. But I don't get to reinterpret scripture because my situation didn't align. I go back and I say, okay, what, what are we missing? What do we not, what, where do we need to see the victory? Well, I'm getting back in this word and I'm going to figure out what happened. I'm going to figure out why I didn't get the answer. I will get it. 
And I'll continue to stand and I'll continue to believe. And I know not everybody's that dogmatic about it. Not everybody's that bold. But that's, that's the reason why we said last week, persistent faith is a rare breed. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to say, is there any faith in the earth? It's going to be so rare he's going to have to look for it. It's going to be those people that say, I know what I've experienced. I know what I've been through. But that doesn't get to alter what the word of God says. I'm staying with the word. And what happened to grandma and what happened to Susie and what happened to sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, that, that, those experiences don't, get, don't allow us to go back in here and say, well, he must not have meant it. Speak to the mountain, it must be removed and cast it. He must not have meant that. Jesus must have been joking. Jesus must have, and then we dumb it down to our small thinking. Well, his ways are higher than, than our ways, and, and, and his thinking is higher. Yeah, it is. But he's calling you up higher. He's saying, my ways are higher. Come up here. Your small thinking's not going to cut it. Lay down the small thinking. Take on my thinking. Put on the mind of Christ. See it the way I see it. And that's what faith does. Faith changes your reality. Faith changes your perspective. Faith makes you look stupid in the natural. I think there's just a lot of Christians that just don't want to look stupid. I think really uh, uh, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. They don't want to look like Jesus telling Jairus, don't be concerned. She's not dead. She's only asleep. What an idiot. They mocked him. They laughed him. They ridiculed him. Let's get this lunatic out of here. And what did he do? He put them all out of the house. Didn't he? Peter, James, John, mom, dad, you're the only ones. Everyone else out. Yeah, because when you stand in faith, it only looks stupid in the natural. It only looks stupid in the natural. Look at Numbers 13. I'll give you a stupid scenario. Maybe I'll title this stupid faith. We talked about persistent faith last week. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get a little more edgy this week. Numbers chapter 13. Israelites are called out of Egypt. All they've known is slavery. God's bringing them into the promised land. And he tells Moses, raise up 12 men, get 12 spies, send them into the promised land. Come on, I'm trying to raise the level of our faith. In these last days, we've got to have a different kind of faith. Y'all with me? We've got to have a different kind of faith, a bold faith, a dogmatic faith, an in-your-face faith that denies the reality of what you're seeing. These 12 spies go in, in verse 27, then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people. This is that faith we're talking about. This is that rare faith, persistent faith, stupid faith. He quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. He said that in the midst of them claiming every reason why we shouldn't go. 
And that's what the world wants to give you. The world wants to give you every reason not to believe, every reason not to stand, every reason not to keep going, every reason not to advance, every reason to give up, every reason to lay down, every reason to quit, every reason to walk out, every reason to abandon and neglect it and say, forget this, this isn't even, this is not what I want to live. I will never see the outcome I know that God has promised me. But he stood up in the face of that. He Literally, they're just giving off reason after reason why we can't conquer, why we can't see the promise of God. And they knew the promise of God. That that was the only thing sustaining them in Egypt. There's a promised land. One day a deliverer is going to come. He's going to bring us out of Egypt. And he's going to take us into the promised land. We know that 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 land, that Canaan land, it's out there. It's set before us. The only difference was He didn't let them know who was inhabiting the land. They show up, and there's giants, and there's enemies, and there's fortified walls, and it's a very vast and large land, and it consumed them, and it overwhelmed them. But it was still their land nonetheless. Why? Because God doesn't consult your experience. God doesn't consult that, oh, I'm sorry, I I didn't drive out the Jebusites and Amorites and termites and Malachites and Hittites. Forget that promised land. No, he said, my word is final. I said, it's yours. But there's giants. It's yours. But there's fortified walls. It's yours. Nothing you give God, nothing you sense or see in the natural changes his mind. But they said there's only three months left to live. Healing is yours. You shall live and not die. That's the word of God. Divine healing belongs to you. He didn't consult the doctor first. He doesn't need to go and read the report for himself to determine if his word is still true. He didn't need to consult the bank account. He didn't need to consult the, the, the lender. He didn't need to consult your husband or your wife. He didn't need to consult the, the times and the day and age that we're living in. None of those things matter when it comes to standing on something that we have not yet seen. It's more real than what you do see. So Caleb stands up, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. He's not denying there's giants. He's not denying there's enemies. He's not denying how vast and how great it is. He's not denying every accusation that they just brought. He's just overriding it with a greater reality. He has a conviction of a reality that he has not yet seen. He has a divine guarantee. He has an assurance and a confidence and a conviction on the inside. We are well able to take it. We are well able to take it. But he also knows that if we keep feeding the scene, we're only going to build fear. See, there will come a point. You're not denying the facts, but you will have to ignore the facts. There will come a point where you will have to stop setting your eyes on the seen realm, on how bad it is, on how bad it looks, on how bad you feel. You 
You know, almost, almost every uh, 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 individual that we've prayed for or, uh, or believed with or stood with in the realm of cancer. We have to get faith built up in them before the medical doctors begin to introduce their comfort pills. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Where they've only got you in comfort mode. They're just trying to allow you to die as softly and easily as possible. But what that does is it hampers your ability to think. It hampers your cognitive ability to stand in faith. So we tell them as much as you can, don't, 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 don't let this medication just take what you need. Don't just let it lull you to sleep. Because once we do that, we've lost your ability to build faith. We've lost the ability to, to, to continue to speak life into you, to get you to be able to stand on the word of God. And in every situation, there will be a moment where you will have to disregard the natural, what you're seeing physically, so you can stand on what you have not yet seen invisibly. And if you continue to keep the report in front of you, if you continue to give way to the feelings, if you continue to rehearse your experiences, then guess what? You are going to greatly hamper your ability to stand in faith. It says that Caleb quieted the people. He had to get above the noise that would cause doubt. He had to get above the, the voices that were only speaking what is seen rather than what could yet be seen. He had to get above that. He says, for we are well able to overcome it. But verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. The next thing is when you begin to stand in faith, expect opposition. I've yet to see it. Where the moment you get in faith, the devil backs off and says, oh, oh okay, okay, I concede. No, he'll come right back at you. You'll get another negative report. That's in direct response to and direct contradiction to the faith that you're speaking and to the belief that you're developing within you. The word that you're standing on, that divine guarantee, when you get that divine guarantee and you begin to stand on it and declare it and believe it, expect opposition from the enemy. And don't be surprised if there's more against you than what's with you. There's 10 negative spots. There's only two positive spots. There's only two out of the 12. And like I said on Sunday, God has never needed a majority. He's not taking a vote. If, 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 if 7 out of 12 come back, we can go get it. If 10 out of 12 agree, what do y'all think? God ain't, God isn't even leaving it up to you. He's saying, this is my word. You either believe it or you don't. I said, this is your land. You either go in and take it or you can sit back and somebody else will take it. Somebody else that doesn't have all the problems you have. Someone else that doesn't have the blockages you have. And someone else that doesn't believe what they see over what I said like you're doing. 
And he did just that. He raised up a next generation that says, you're next. You believe. And he would have waited that thing out until somebody believed him at his word. Thankfully, we didn't have to go any further. A new generation arose that didn't know Egypt, didn't know slavery, didn't know, uh, 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 you know, having to drudge through all that. All they knew was the wilderness, and Joshua took them in in three days. In three days, you'll take these people in. Joshua and Caleb got to go in only because they remained with the report of the Lord. They came, Caleb came to a conclusion before he even got started. For by it, by what? By faith, he obtained a good testimony. He wrote that testimony right there. He wrote his testimony that he didn't even get to experience until years later. He wrote that testimony right there. He said, I'm going to tell my kids about the day I saw the promised land. I'm going to tell the kids about the day we entered in and we conquered. I'm going to tell my kids about the day. I'm giving that testimony right now. Let me tell you about what the Lord did. He went before us and conquered our enemies. Everywhere we, the, that the sole of our foot treads, he gave it to us. We, we took down walls and we took, took out enemies and giants were no match for us. Yeah, he determined that testimony and that report in Numbers 13, verse 30. He didn't wait until Joshua chapter 6. When they walked around the walls of Jericho and the walls come down, he didn't wait until then. He developed his testimony for by it, for by faith, he obtained a good report. The men responded and said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature there we saw giants the descendants of Anak and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight in the very next verse, it says the congregation lifted up their voices and cried out all night long. So, which reality are you going to believe in? What are you going to stand on? What are you going to be moved by? You going to be moved by what you see? Going to be moved by the experiences of life? Or are we going to have the kind of faith that according to the word of God is the only way we please him? Not a faith that gives in when opposition shows up. Not a faith that we dumb down when we don't get our way or we don't get a desired outcome. Not a faith uh, that easily is crippled and easily wavers and easily uh, is blown off to the wayside by doubt and by unbelief and by others that don't agree and others that don't want to. If you have to stand on the word all by yourself, you stand. Caleb was determined. Joshua was determined. We ain't budging. We're not giving in. They had two against a multitude. Eventually, not only were they going up against the 10 other spies, they had to go against up, they had to go up against the entire group. And they stood their ground and they saw the outcome they knew God had promised them. What kind of faith are you going to have in these last days? What kind of faith are you going to maintain? What kind of faith are you going to build and encourage and strengthen and develop? 
I'll just say this. When you're in the trial, it's too late to start building the faith. You don't build the boat, you don't build the boat in the storm. You build the boat in preparation. Don't wait until you need a miracle in your body to know what the word of God says about healing in your body. Don't wait until you need a miracle in your finances to record and understand and know what God's word says about finances. Don't wait until you need a miracle and, and, and hope in your marriage uh, uh, to stand on uh, uh, until the trial comes. Develop those things now. Get in the word now. Discover what his word says about you now. Get in a church that preaches the word according to what the word says and applies everything that belongs to the believer to your life. And don't accept anything else. Don't accept anything else. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.